The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. Picking up where we left off in Daniel 11, we continue to discuss the historical and prophetic lessons of Daniel's life and visions. We look at the contribution of the Maccabees and Daniel himself to the larger story of God and his kingdom. Those who have gone before us help show us how to be a faithful witness, which is the essential call of the book of Daniel. So now we're going to go to the little horn of chapter 8. We saw this whole thing about Antiochus IV. Now we see kind of how Antiochus IV got on the scene in the first place. So now Antiochus IV is going to come. So verse 21. He, Seleucus IV, will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. This is kind of like the point in the play where the villain comes in and everybody boos. So this is the contemptible person. We're introduced right off the bat. He's got a black cape and a handlebar mustache and a black top hat. This is the guy who's been not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue. So remember, he's in exile with the Romans. He got taken as a hostage. So when Seleucus IV died in 175 BC, his younger brother seized the throne. This is the contemptible person. This is Antiochus IV. He wasn't supposed to be the one that was on the throne. He didn't have the honor of royalty. That's supposed to go to Seleucus IV's son, by the way, of royal succession. But his son was being held hostage, too, so he's now out of being hostage, and so he now seizes power. So that's how he gets to be on the throne. So he will invade the kingdom. Uh, it was better rendered, he will come to the kingdom. And this is talking about Syria, not Israel. Invade the kingdom is Syria. He didn't become king of Syria by means of military invasion. He came when his people are secure or in ease or quietness. The idea may be that Antiochus IV would come at a time of false security or come unawares. Verse 22. I'm going to skip over to the NASV version because I found the NKJV to be incomprehensible in this particular case. So 22 and 23. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully. With only a few people, he will rise to power. So this is talking about Ptolemy's army being swept away before Antiochus IV. Okay, so here's what happened here. 169 BC, Ptolemy VI launched an attack to regain the territories of Israel, Phoenicia, Palestine, that he had lost to the Syrians. But he had, the, he had an overwhelming army with him, but it was defeated by Antiochus' forces. Ptolemy was even captured or, or broken. It says destroyed, but his, his, basically his power was destroyed. He wasn't killed. And he's held as a hostage by the Seleucid king. Ptolemy is called a prince of the covenant in this verse because he agreed or made a covenant to become an ally of Antiochus IV if the Syrians would help him regain his throne in Egypt, which he had been taken by his younger brother. So if I lose my throne to my brother, I go to my enemy to get him to help me take the throne back, and then I attack my enemy again. Don't you love this? 
Okay, so Antiochus IV was delighted to make such a pact. He felt it would give him a foothold in Egypt. So with Syrian help, Ptolemy regained his throne, and later Ptolemy broke the agreement, allied himself with his brother Ptolemy VII, so the guy that he got Syria on his side to overcome, now he becomes his ally, and to dislodge Antiochus' troops and on the border of Egypt. Okay, so verse 24, When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. This is Antiochus IV still. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. So they felt secure without warning. Antiochus invaded the richest provinces, and the word here is like the fat ones, and plundered their treasure. So this includes Egypt, Judea, and other provinces where the Syrian forces were successful. Grandiose plans to conquer the fortresses in Egypt and so forth filled the proud king's head, but his successes would only last for a brief time. That is the time decreed by God. So once again, God's on the throne. He's got all this scripted out. These people only prosper when, when God allows them to prosper. And we've already seen this in Daniel, right? My servant Cyrus, my shepherd Cyrus, the anointed one Cyrus, who's doing my bidding to restore the Holy Land. Nebuchadnezzar, he saw, the only reason you're here, Daniel told him, is because God put you here. And then God had him go insane, and then he had him restored, okay? God is in control, even though these people are out of control. They're crazy. So, verse 25, he, Antiochus IV, shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south, Egypt, with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand. For they shall devise plans against him. So they here, now we got that north and south pretty clear there, that they then is his advisors. So what happens is, Ptolemy's counselors sit at his table and make give him bad advice, and it leads to Ptolemy's downfall. Okay? So I'll read it with that in mind maybe it'll be clear but he shall not stand meaning Ptolemy for they shall devise plans against him yes those who eat of the portion of his delicacies his advisors shall destroy him his army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain but these kings hearts shall be bent on evil and they shall speak lies at the same table but it shall not prosper for the end will still be at the appointed time while returning to his land with great riches his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant so he shall do damage and return to his own land. So this is what happened when Ptolemy VI was a prisoner. Ptolemy VII was made king. And this development made Ptolemy VI and Antiochus IV plan how they would regain the Egyptian throne. So this is a different telling of the same event we've just talked about. So both kings made promises they had absolutely no intention of keeping, which seems to be the pattern here all the way through. So that's the speak lies at the same table. And of course uh, Antiochus was willing to support Ptolemy for his own personal gain and in turn Ptolemy made insincere promises in order to receive aid and so the figure of speaking lies at the same table is significant because in, in uh, Middle Eastern culture that was like the worst kind of lie so it's just showing how contemptible they are but they didn't prosper so verse 28, now we finally kind of arrive at the main point of the story. Gabriel is now telling us about the Holy Covenant. So now the Jewish people come in here, the Holy Covenant. So Antiochus' first campaign against Egypt was successful. And on his way home, he goes through Palestine. And when he got there, he found a Jewish insurrection in progress. So the Jews, they always are willing accomplices in their own 
problem. That seems to be the case. Because they're going to invite Antiochus to help them solve this. And the same thing happened a hundred years later. They invite the Romans in to solve it. And in both cases, the same thing happened. They appointed themselves as the ruler. So this is all now in First and Second Maccabees, if you want to read that. It's an apocryphal book, but I think generally considered a reliable book. Antiochus put the rebellion down and massacred 80,000 men, women, and children in doing it. He then looted the temple with the help of the evil high priest Menelaus. So Menelaus is like, come on in. It'll be great. Kill a bunch of people. I'll be your ally. So he's got insiders helping him. And the persecution of the Jews goes to calamitous proportions. So verse 29. At the appointed time, he, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, shall return and go toward the south. But it shall not be like the former or latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved. So here's what happened. The Syrians, the northern, the Seleucid dynasty, were moving to besiege Alexandria, which is a city in Egypt. Had a huge library, maybe up to 400,000 volumes in it. Remember the Greeks, Aristotle, you know, they're learned people. So the Roman commander Gaius Populus Lenius met Antiochus four miles outside the city and handed Antiochus IV a letter from the Roman Senate. And the letter ordered him to leave Egypt or face war with Rome. So Antiochus IV, who's an egomaniac, now gets a letter saying, leave or um, Rome is going to squash you like a little bug. Then the Roman commander drew a circle in the sand. So he takes a stick and he draws a circle around him and he says, you must answer this letter before you leave this circle. You remember, that's like lion, bear, leopard, and then this monster with iron teeth. Well, this is the monster with iron teeth coming on the stage now. So, And of course... Uh, Antiochus knows he can't beat Rome, so he, he suffers the humiliation of withdrawing, and he's really unhappy about it. So, on the way back home, he goes through Israel again, and so verse 30b, he returns in rage against the Holy Covenant and does damage. So now he's really ticked off, he goes back through Israel. If you're a bully and a bigger bully kicks you, what do you do? Oh, you find somebody else to kick, right? So he goes through Israel. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. So here it is. This is the first abomination of desolation. It's already happened. Another one's coming. The one Jesus spoke of is the one that's coming. So is there any way you could read all this stuff and predict, oh, I know what's going to happen. There's no way you could predict that. Even now, looking back, I'm reeling all this stuff off, and you're going, I just barely understand what he's saying. But what we do know is there was an abomination of desolation. We know that. So we've got signs we can look for. Trying to understand the events, we don't need to know that. What we need to know is God's in control of all the details. Okay, verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So this is really cool. This is one of the great things that's happened in the Bible. Antiochus is humiliated by Rome. He goes back to the Holy Covenant. And the head of his mercenaries and the chief collector of tribute, Apollonius, pretended to come in peace. But on the Sabbath day, everybody's relaxed. He attacked, massacred a ton of people, plundered the city. But he rewarded the apostate Jews like the high priest Menelaus who supported his Hellenistic policy. So now we have a divide. And we got people that support the invaders and people that don't. The same as in Roman times, in Jesus' time, the Herodians were guys who supported compromising with the Romans. So verse 31, the temple spoken of here as a fortress, probably because they had made it into a citadel. 
And then he, what he did, this, the physical thing we know from history he did, in 167 B.C. is where we're at here, and this is told in 1 Maccabees. He took an altar or idol statue devoted to Zeus, or Roman is Jupiter, and erected into the temple. So this was the abomination of desolation. And on 25th of Cheslev, sacrifices, probably including pigs, were offered on the altar to Zeus. In this manner, the temple was desecrated and rendered empty of Yahweh worshippers. Antiochus made some uh, fine-sounding promises. It's flattery. That's what he was. He was a guy that did intrigue. And uh, the apostate Jews, those who do wickedly against the covenant, allied with him. But even in this dark period, there were some faithful witnesses. So here we go again. Faithful witnesses who don't fear death. And these guys turned out to be the Maccabees. So many in Israel stood firm and resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or profane the holy covenant, and they did die. That's what happened. So here's what happened. Antiochus IV called Epiphanes because he said, you know, I'm the image of God, you know, like Epiphany image. So I'm the image of God. So the Maccabees, they had, had, there was a certain priest named Mattathias who lived in a town 17 miles from Jerusalem. The, the resistance started in the rural areas. We might see some of that going on in our day. So he refused to forsake his God, and he had five sons, three of whom became known as the Maccabees. Maccabee means hammer, even though initially only one of his sons, Judas, was called the hammer, but it originally kind of came to denote his whole family. So they led a victory. And if, at first, it was just a handful of people, and everybody else's like, I don't want to join. I'll get killed. But because of their bravery, a whole bunch of people aided them. So verse 33, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. So here's the job of the believers in difficult times. The ones who understand need to instruct. There's two ways to instruct, tell and show. And the Maccabees did both. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join them by intrigue, and some of those with understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So, when difficult times come like this, some people die. And those people that die, why did they die? It refined them. It purified them. It made them white. It made them overcomers. Sound familiar? They won when they did that. And only a few people begin. But then many start to come in, and a lot of them secretly. They're secret followers. Some people are visible uh, leaders, and other people are visible leaders. And a lot of other people are just following secretly. And that's okay. That's all right. If you do what you're called to do. So what happened was... The Maccabees, even though it was a tiny little group of people, they rose up and they resisted. And Antiochus IV had some other issues that caused him to have to make a decision. And he left, and he left it to the Maccabees, and they won. So far, from the 160s all the way to 30 B.C., Israel is now ruled by this priestly family. Now, you know about their successors. You know a lot about their successors, the Maccabees. They're called the Pharisees. So when the disciples come to Jesus and say, did you know that what you're saying is upsetting the Pharisees? The reason they're saying that is because the Pharisees are national heroes. They saved Judaism from extinction because Antiochus had made it illegal to circumcise your babies. He had made it illegal to practice Judaism. Hellenism only was allowed, and people were murdered by Antiochus IV if they didn't follow his edict. And the Maccabees stood up and said, kill us if you want to, we're not going against God. And miraculously, miraculously, they won. They're the heroes. 
And their successors, the Pharisees, were heroes. The Sadducees split off from the Pharisees at some point, And they were, by that time, I don't think really the heroes of the average person. But the Pharisees continued to be. And Jesus overcame their tremendous goodwill by giving them a new brand. Hypocrite. Hypocrite to us means someone who says one thing and does another. Hypocrite at the time Jesus borrowed that term meant a Greek actor who holds a mask up in front of his face. Because in those days, the plays had two people in them. So you have eight characters, you hold up a mask, and he says, you know, and he says, uh, hey, how are you today? And the other guy says, oh, I'm fine. And then he takes a different mask and says, oh, well, I want this. You know, they just change their voice, and they have these two masks. Hypocrite. So that's what Jesus says is, you know what these guys are? They're like those Greek actors that hold up a mask. And he flipped it on them. Okay? But until that time, they're the heroes because they had saved Israel. And rightfully so. The defenders of the faith, that's what they were. Because the Maccabees defended the faith. So, will you remember any of that? I don't think I will. And I'm sorry to have talked NASCAR, but I did it. I got it all in. And what I want you to leave with is this overwhelming sense that the world hasn't changed very much. Human nature's the same. Human nature doesn't change. People want power. And they want it for themselves. They want it their way. Why? Because they're of their father, the devil, who said what? I shall ascend to the Most High. He was already the cherub in, in charge of everything. But that wasn't good enough. He wanted God's seat. So men say, I shall ascend to the Most High. I want what you have. I want what you have. I'll do anything to get it. I'll kill. I'll murder. Satan's job's description is what? He's the accuser, and he's the father of lies, and he's a murderer from the beginning. That's what he does. Well, here you go. So that's what his administration looks like. But Jesus is preparing a new administration, isn't he? A new earth ruled by Jesus, who for the suffering of death was crowned with glory and honor, and who has paved the way for many sons to take that throne with him. To him who overcomes, I will give to him to sit on the throne with me. He wants a group of servant kings. Anything serving about these kings? They serve their own appetites. They serve their own interests. They did not serve others. They didn't serve their people. They took their people to battle and have them trampled by elephants. But what Jesus is preparing is servant kings, people who will take the job he gave them to do, whatever that is, and do it faithfully and not fear death, not fear failure, not fear rejection, not fear anything that the world might keep on them because they're faithfully doing what God gave them to do. And so that's how you counter all this nasty stuff. The Maccabees countered it. Daniel countered it. Revelation speaks to us and says, I want every one of you to play your role. Be a faithful witness and don't fear death. And as you see things go crazy out there in the world, look, don't worry about it. Just play the role God gave you to do. You're not in charge of outcomes. I'll take care of outcomes, God says. I just want you to be faithful where I put you and what I gave you to do. Which neighbor are you supposed to help? The one laying in the road you're walking down, right? You work on the things God put in your path. We don't have to fix all this stuff. God is going to fix all this stuff. If we'll do the part God gave us to do as our role in the body, then we're following in Daniel's footsteps. We're following in the Maccabees' footsteps. 
we're following in the footsteps of being an overcomer, a winner, a Nikeo, one who does what God asks him to do, a faithful witness that doesn't fear death. Cool, huh? All right. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing us the honor of getting to participate in this world that's fallen and nasty and giving us an era where the fallenness and nastiness is not quite as brutal. But it's the same spirit and the same fight. And I pray that you'll help us all be hammers in the place you've given us to use that hammer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.